Romans chapter 7. And I have been looking forward to getting back into the book of Romans, verse by verse. If you go to Romans chapter 7, we're going to be talking about uh, this, this thought that, that Christians are always at war. Now, not, with them, not within the church. So should we, man, we should love the brethren. Uh, um, there's, there's sometimes you rebuke one another in love, but there's no war going on here, but there's war going on here. And Paul describes that, and he actually calls himself wretched here, which means um, uh, hurting and uh, messed up. And I want you to start there. Uh, look at Romans chapter 7, and uh, just hold your place here for a minute. This is part 3 as we go through the, the chapter 7 uh, on the wretched Christian. And chapter by chapter... In this book we call the book of Romans, it was a letter Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome. So it's called Romans. That's why it's called that. And he wrote a very long letter, uh, 16 chapters long. And it, uh, uh, it explains the gospel. It's like a telescope finding out how beautiful and wonderful the universe is. Well, the more we go through the book of Romans, the more we see back in the gospels. It explains the sinfulness of mankind, and he proves that we're sinners, and he shows that we deserve, righteously, we deserve the wrath of God on both sin and sinners. See, a lot of people say, well, God doesn't have a problem with me. He only has a problem with my sin. Now, you are so wrong. Uh, he has a problem with us, and we're not like him. Um, and um, uh, we, we kind of, Jesus said about Christians, he says, we make him sick. He says, Christians who are lukewarm, it makes them want to throw up. So you got to understand, even, even uh, you know, we think we're so good and so wonderful and so, so you know, uh, marvelous to God that, that he just loves us. No, he sometimes gets sick, to, sick of us and just says, man, I really wish you'd get right with me. I really wish you'd do right. And um, uh, there is a righteous judgment coming on this world on both sin and sinners. People do go to hell. Don't lose that. So the world wants and the modern Christians want to say uh, the hell's all done away with. It has not been done away with. So uh, chapter by chapter, Paul's been proving um, that uh, we deserve the wrath of God. And chapter four on, we get introduced to something called grace. And he shows that grace first to Abraham, then to the entire nation of Israel and now to the world. And uh, it's a great grace always costs the giver. The great the great thing about Romans is it explains that for God to be kind to us, he had to do something that would cost him his son. It would cost uh, cost him uh, him becoming a man and dying for us, for his grace. And what's amazing is that when Jesus died, he died for and this is what's amazing for all sinners, for no matter how far gone you've gone. Uh, no matter how sinful you are, you can be justified, forgiven, pardoned from all sin forever. That's grace. Grace doesn't expect anything of you except surrender. Uh, stop trying to please God, trying to be good. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't be good, but you can't be good enough. And you can't work your way to heaven. You're going to have to stop and say, I surrender all. And I just trust Jesus Christ. And God, at that moment, pardons you and makes you right with him that's grace now in chapter six we found out that god's death as a man 
Christ's death changed everything. What Jesus did on the cross uh, was for us. It was not for himself. When Jesus died, he wasn't dying for some crime he had committed. He died for people who could never be perfect and could never be good. He took the place of those who deserved to die. You know, Jesus never sinned one moment in his life, not one thought. And yet he was infinitely punished under the wrath of Almighty God in our place. That's why we sing of the cross. That's why we come to church. And we don't sing about ourselves and our accomplishments, but what he did. And his death was perfect. That's what you got to understand. When, when the Pharisees stood under him as he was writhing under the pain of that crucifixion, under the wrath of God, they mocked him. They spit at him. They laughed at him and said, surely this is a failure. But his death was perfect. It was absolutely sufficient to pay off my sin and yours and all sin forever. Amen. It's wonderful. Um. And uh, that's why I was able to get up three days later. I mean, if I die, I'm staying dead, folks, until God raises me up. Jesus got up himself because his death was perfect. Now, it changed everything between sinners and God. A believer no longer, listen to this, because of the cross, God does not see any believer as a sinner. He sees a, uh, as a sinner as judged and dead now. When God looks at me, he looks through his son, he looks through the cross, and he sees somebody who is dead and buried and gone. Now, I'm still here, but as far as God's concerned, he sees me as adopted into his family, as born into his family, like I, was, like I had never sinned. You ever hear the term justified? Justified, a simple, not perfect meaning, but it's a good meaning. Justified means just as if I'd never sinned. So when God justified me through his son, he now sees me no longer as this wicked sinner, which I was, but as, as a son, as a child of God, as, as forgiven, as a saint. Somebody, uh, I think it was Clive, went in and he called me Patrick. I said, just call me Saint Patrick. I'll be happy. Uh, I don't know where you got Patrick from. I don't know, but it's okay with me. I don't know. <laughs> uh, God looks through the cross at me. Now, a believer is no longer seen as just flesh, in bones, you're looking at flesh and bones and muscle, right? Uh, but God sees me as a spiritual son of God, living and worshiping God, using my spirit now, not using my flesh. Before a person gets born again, they try so hard to control their, their tongue. They try so hard to genuflect and pray in the right direction and close their eyes and bow their, their heads and use their hands. All that's fine. You can work on all that. That's fine. But that doesn't save you. What saves you and what actually draws you close to God is your spirit. There's a part of you that you were born that was dead, that you were born with that's dead, that needs to be resurrected. And we understand this. And until the day I get to heaven, God gave me a new spirit when I got born again so I could walk with him. And he sees that in me. He doesn't look at my doesn't look at my hair, doesn't look at my nose, and look at my spots, doesn't look at, at my height or my wallet. He looks at whether I, my spirit is alive or not. That's all God's interested in. So we have been freed from a doomed relationship with sin in our flesh. And this is deep stuff. I know. That's why I've taken weeks to go through some of this stuff. And when we get to chapter 8, you're going to want to take weeks. It is just so rich truth after truth. A Christian has been freed from a doomed relationship with sin 
and your flesh. Aren't you glad you're not going to live forever in that body you're living in right now? Can you imagine growing older and putting in more false teeth every year? Can you imagine for eternity living, losing hair? Can you imagine forever living with a body that's just getting older and more decrepit and more painful? Aren't you glad one of these days this body is going to be buried and gone? And when you understand that, that that's not all there is to you. That's just a part of you. And that body going to that grave, there's another part of you called the soul that lives forever. And God, God made you to live forever with him. But he made you to live with him with a spirit, not with a body. Your body's not important. Uh, everybody worries about losing hair and everybody loses, worries about the shape of their nose and they're worried about their height. And uh, I don't know what everything everybody's worried about. I just know everybody hates themselves. That's because you're focused on your flesh because you're worried about what's on the outside. God doesn't worry about what's on your outside. What does he say? He looks on the heart. He looks on the heart. So the cross crucified the flesh. Do you get that? Jesus physically died. And when he died, I now know that God doesn't worry about my flesh. It's dead and gone. He looks at my spirit, worries about whether I'm walking with him or whether I'm ignoring him. So the crucifixion removes a believer from condemnation. And that's what chapter eight is all about. We just memorized that thing. There's therefore now no condemnation anymore. When Christ died, he, he broke the grip that sin used to have on every one of us. Freed us from sin's dominion. And Christ's death became my death. So that his resurrection could be my resurrection. And some of the most deepest wonderful truths uh, of the gospel. Very few people ever take, take time to actually ponder and enjoy. And, and it's just, when we talk about, when we sing about the cross, it's because there's so much that happened there. I'm looking forward to heaven, but I enjoy the cross because all, everything that's wonderful in my life happened because of what Jesus did on the cross. So when we get to chapter seven, Paul shows the believer why we sin still. And why we feel wretched now. You say, I don't feel wretched. Well, you will. You'll go up and down. Look at Romans chapter 7. This is spoken by a Christian as he was at that moment. Not when he was lost and unsaved, but as he was right then. Look at John, Romans chapter 7, verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Now, the truth is this. Chapter 7 explains why we feel wretched, why we feel so frustrated with ourselves. I mean, I want to do right. I want to pray every day. I want to read my Bible every day. I want to witness every day. I want to treat my wife right every day, every hour. I want to love people, but I don't. And when I go through the day and I haven't read my Bible and I haven't spent any time talking to God, I haven't walked with God, I feel wretched. Anybody else like that? Yeah. All right. That's us and that's what we need to understand is why we're like that still and where our victory is <clears throat> let's discover where our freedom is found so by way of review in chapter seven i won't read it all but i'll read bits and pieces there in verses one to four uh we talked about it the whole message is called till till death do us part <clears throat> and paul describes our relationship with our flesh like a marriage relationship and when we talk about our flesh, we're talking about our body, our outer man, what you're looking at right now. It's a cruel relationship, by the way. <clears throat> Let's see if I can bring this up. So uh, uh, there's, there's, 
there's two parts of me that 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 I'm I'm normally uh, at home with, and that is the fact that my my body, my flesh, is what you see on the outside, but the real me, my soul, is married or joined to my flesh. That's what the Bible describes in chapter seven, verse one, two, three, and four. But I don't like it. I am stuck in a body that is cruel to me. My, my nature is to do wrong. It is something inside of me called sin. And just like being married to somebody who we talk about narcissism and selfish and all this stuff, a lot of women know about being married to a selfish man. And that man only thinks of himself, makes every, the whole world revolve around him. That's our body. Our body makes us, the real us, our soul, cater to it. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I'm not happy. Oh, this is not fun. That's the flesh. And the soul says, yes, dear. Yes, dear. Oh, yes, dear. Let me help you. And you got to get tired of that. It is a cruel relationship where your body controls what you do, where you go, what you think, how you feel. Now, what's amazing is that <clears throat> we know that there's somebody else knocking and saying, would you like to be married to me? And that's Jesus Christ. Now, if I, now let me just draw this out for you a second. My body, my flesh is sinful. Now, you got to understand this. That's where sin dwells. And as long as I am married or stuck with my body, when I die, I go down. So something has to happen where God, he didn't, God's not behind divorce. There is, God allows for divorce, but God didn't divorce me from my body He's got to kill somebody. <laughs> and so he, he, when Christ died, he died so my flesh, my body would be considered dead in a relationship so that my soul could now walk with God, so that I could now have a relationship with God. I cannot love two masters. You understand what I'm saying? You don't have two marriages. That's adultery. Something had to happen where God separated the control and the dominance of my flesh and the sin in my flesh from me so that I could walk in the spirit. Now, I know this is some deep stuff over the head of most everybody, but if you get one-tenth of it, you might start shouting. <clears throat> Let's get on here. Jesus came and declared us death with, dead with him. He declared that cruel, sinful part of me dead with him. I am crucified with Christ. Amen? Now, he did that. So that sinful people could walk now in the, in the spirit. <clears throat> How's a sinner ever going to live right? How's a sinner, sinful person ever going to walk with God? God? God doesn't allow any sin in heaven, does he? But he made it possible for me to walk with him and to be close to him and to go straight into his presence one day because he declared a part of me dead. Now, only God can do that, and that's why I believe the Bible. I don't believe some psychologist telling me something. I believe when the Bible tells me something, the Bible says you're dead. So sinful people can now walk in the Spirit. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll come back to Romans. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 16. We're no longer joined in a relationship with our bodies anymore. Now, I don't want you to understand. You still have your body. Your body's still very much alive, but not to God. Uh, I give the example. Here's, here's um, I don't know, it's, it's a poor example, but in a divorce situation where husband and wife break up and they get a divorce, 
they may see each other in the shopping mall, but they're dead to each other, aren't they? They don't even notice each other. They just walk away. They're dead to each other. When in that simple way, that's how God sees my flesh. He sees the old me, all of my history, all of my past. He sees is not there. And that's priceless. Watch this. First uh, Corinthians 6, 16. What? No, you did not. That he which is joined physically to a harlot is now one what? All right. You start fooling around on Friday night or Saturday night. You've now joined with one flesh. God considers that a step. That's what marriage is for. They are one flesh, but he that is now joined unto the Lord is one what? Talk to me. One what? One spirit. All right. So there's two parts of me. I can either be worried about what my flesh is joined to or what my spirit is joined to. I want to walk with God. I want, I have a new relationship with God in my spirit because of the new birth. Uh, and and he, it, it makes it so that, you know, I don't, I don't worry about whether I pray right. I don't worry about whether my life is perfectly right. I want to be holy. I want to be right with God. I want what I do to be good. But no matter if I'm good or not, I can walk with God. Amen? I can talk to him. I can cast all my care on him. I can call him from far or near and know that he hears me because I've been born again. I've been justified. That will make anyone shout. We can walk in the spirit. When we get into chapter 8, we're going to have us a Pentecostal day, man. <clears throat> Even though we're Baptists, sorry. <clears throat> so, what does it mean? Like I said, we're no longer in a relationship with our bodies anymore. Now, you got to feed it. <laughs> you got to put it to bed. You got to bathe it. Amen. Please do that. Uh, you got to comb the hair. You got to take care of the body, but I don't obey it anymore. Do you? I'm sure some of you argued with your pillow this morning <laughs> and your flesh tried to tell you, don't go to church. Your flesh, gentlemen, will tell you, don't go to the Bible study tonight. Your flesh will always tell you, don't come on Wednesday night. I know how the flesh works. But I don't have a relationship with my flesh anymore. I don't listen to it. I make it do what my spirit is trying to do. You understand? Yes. My spirit is trying to walk with God. My spirit is trying to talk with God, trying to get close. That's why if I announced we're going to have church all day, your flesh goes, oh, no. But you know what your spirit should do? Woohoo! Yes. Amen? That's what ought to be true in the Christian's life. We're no longer in relationship with our bodies. And my sins don't define me anymore. Your past does not determine your future. Your sins do not decide how close or how far away you are from God. You know how close you are to God? One breath. You can call on God and say, I'm a mess. Please make me right. And he does. My sins don't define me. The Lord doesn't go, well, you know, you really blew it, Ledbetter, this time. I'm going to give you three weeks before I listen to you again. That's not how God talks. You're one step away from turning back to God and getting back close to God. My sins don't define me anymore. And number three, I can walk with God today. I get to spend time with you this morning. We to fellowship, talk, have a cup of tea. But all day long, I can walk with God. I talk to him. I walked down from home this morning, and I just relaxed, and I talked with God. And I just cast some birds in upon him, and I prayed about some things, and I praised him, and I knew he heard me. I can walk with God, even though I'm walking to church. 
Or if I'm walking to the job or I'm walking to the store, I can walk with God. That's what this part means, that I'm in a new relationship. Amen. Then we learn in verse 5, let me start reading here back there in Romans chapter 7. We learn that something inside us is still there trying to kill us. Chapter 7 and verse 5. It, we, we, it's kind of like a disease, but it's much, much worse. Look at uh, chapter 7 and verse 5 down to 13. It says this, for when we were in the flesh... The motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Wow. Something was going on inside of me that was going to kill me. Verse 6. But now we are delivered from the law. That being, that being dead, the old me, wherein we were held, that we should serve in the newness of my spirit. I've been resurrected in my spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. Do this, do that. Verse 7. Well, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Is it the problem? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin. The law is like x-ray. I had known what was wrong with me. I did not even know that there was so much sin in me, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet. I didn't know it was wrong for me to watch television all day and lust after thing, after thing, after person, after person, after person, after person. After person. I, you would know that that was wrong because everybody's doing it, except the Bible says don't covet. Don't want what somebody else has. Verse 8, but sin, taken occasion by the commandment, it wrought in me. It worked in me all manner of concupiscence, which is another word for love. For without the law, sin was dead, was inactive. For I was alive without the law once when I was a baby, when I was a child. But when the commandment came, Sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto my death. Every, every, you know, when, when somebody tries to be a good person all their life, they're going to stand before God one day, is going to open the books and say, <clears throat> let's look at all your sins. And all those sins will be judged by the commandments of God and you will miss heaven. The, the judgment will fall. You're not good enough. And it says right there, uh, the commandment, which I thought, hey, this is great. I'll try to keep all the commandments. They will be your curse. Somebody says, oh, I keep the Ten Commandments. You look at me and go, uh, you just lied. <laughs> uh, you can't keep them all. What God made holy, perfect, and good, and it is, only shows you're not holy, perfect, and good. And so what it was meant to be good and be, be for your life actually will destroy you, will kill you. Because it will show all the sin that's killing you. Keep going there, verse 11. For sin taken occasion by the commandment deceived me. Sin always lies. And by it slew me. Sin will tell you, oh, this is fun. Oh, this is everybody, everybody else is doing this. Oh, this is easy. This won't hurt you. Sin always deceives us. And then we find out it hurt us. Verse 12. Wherefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Don't sit there and go, I don't need the commandments of God. You most certainly do. Was that which is, which is good made death unto me? God forbid, but sin, that's my problem, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. The purpose, the more you read your Bible, the more you realize how much sin is in you and how wicked it is. You may think, well, I just tell a few lies here and there, and then you read through the Bible and you find out every lie is wicked. I learned a couple of things very important from my dad, and one of them is you do not lie. 
Now, he wasn't trying to teach me the Bible. He's trying to teach me morality and integrity. But let me tell you, a liar is a wicked man. You can almost, almost anybody else, whatever else you may be doing can be fixed, but a liar usually can't be fixed because they've deceived themselves into thinking they're telling the truth. So don't think that, well, this sin is not that bad or that sin's not so bad. No, sin is bad. Doesn't matter what it is. So there's something in us that's killing us. Keep going there. Uh, yeah, that might become exceeding sinful. Uh, let me stop there for a second and review here. We're now delivered from the law that governed my flesh, all the rules of my flesh, because my flesh has been separated from my soul. I don't worry about, you know, this flesh, as we're going to show you, will sin. It's going to do its own thing. But I'm not following the flesh anymore. I'm following the, the, the spirit of God in my spirit. The grip of my flesh is broken. I do not have to obey it anymore. And so that we can worship God, as I said, in our spirit. And when you're reading the Bible, let it just show you where you're doing wrong and get right. And you have the tools to get right now. The Bible is holy and just and is good for you and me. And thank God he shows me what we are. One of the best ways to win a soul is to show them the law and to get them to realize you're in trouble with God so that they say, well, what do I do? Then you take, take them to grace. You take them to the cross. You show them Jesus. Amen? We show them usually the last chapter. We show them the grace and the love of God. When they need to know they're a sinner, they need the law to show them they're in trouble with God. And, and, and coming back to this thing, it'll, it builds up here in verse 14. He says this, for I know that the law is spiritual. It's good, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Now, those that's a mouthful. Let's see if I can do this here. Sinful is, is my life in the flesh. Sinful is my life in the flesh. Let me get to my page here. Uh, and by the way, I do live in the flesh. How many of you live in the flesh? Let me see your hands. <laughs> we all live in the flesh. Um, take your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. You're in Romans, go to the right, find 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. So I live in the flesh, I walk and live and breathe in it, but I don't fight with it. I don't, I just don't pray words. I pray in my spirit. You know, there are some times when if you're really praying in the spirit, you don't, you're, you don't know what to say. You're just groaning. You're just hurting. That's okay. Your words don't matter. What matters is your heart open and real. Um, look at verse, um, uh, let's go to chapter 12 and verse 7. Still in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7. Unless I be exalted above measure, unless I become full of pride through the abundance of the revelations. This is Paul talking. He said, I was getting revelation after revelation from God. He was writing scripture, okay? He says, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn where? There was... There, there, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, to hurt me. 
lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. So was Paul in the flesh, yes or no? Was he, was he experiencing trouble in the flesh? Yes. Even demonic attack in the flesh. Galatians 2.20. You're in Corinthians. Go to the right a few more pages before we go back to Romans. Galatians 2 and verse 20. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Are you there? Galatians 2.20. And the life which I now live where? All right, I'm in the flesh. I live in it, but I don't obey it anymore. I, I, it's not willpower either. It's surrender power to the spirit. I can walk in the spirit. Uh, I live uh, in the flesh, but I live by the faith of the Son of God now who loved me and gave himself for me. So here's the truth. Are you ready? In me, I, I still sin. When you look at me, I'm still in this, it's kind of like a spacesuit. It's an outer shell. And if you looked at me, you'd say, oh, pastor lost his temper. Yeah, my flesh lost a temper. Yep, sure did. Oh, pastor you know, he exaggerated, you know, or whatever. All the things that I might do, yeah, you're looking at me do it. My, I still sin. Does anybody else still sin in this room? And well, I'm a Christian. Hey, Amen. Do you still sin? Uh, I don't know. Yes, you do. We're going to have to learn some truth here that there is sin in all of us still. But here's, here's the greater truth. My, my body, this outer body, is dead and dying. One of these days, it's, gonna, it's actually going to be put into the grave. But the real me is going to live on forever. And when Jesus died and rose again, he shows that there is a forever. Amen? I like how people, it's very funny. I'll be talking to somebody at the door, and they'll say, ah, we don't even know if there is life after death. Really? What about Jesus? He came back. Oh, but beside him. <laughs> no, no, no. He's the proof. Now, there's a part of me that still sins, and but one day is going to be done away with, but there's a part of me that's going to live forever, and that's the part I'm focused on now. So my life does not live in relationship with my flesh anymore. One day, whew, I'm going to have a new body, one that doesn't complain, one that doesn't sin, one that doesn't fall apart, doesn't get old. I have a new body, and it'll be just like Jesus' body. Perfect. Now, until that day, I want to make something real clear. My flesh is still bound to sin. I am sold to sin. It will always want to do wrong things. My flesh will always want to say wrong things, always want to think wrong things, lust for wrong things. You say, say, I don't understand that. That's because you're like me. When I got saved, I thought I quit sinning. I thought, whoo, no more sin. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't last long. <laughs> no, no, no. It's it, my body is still going to sin, and that brings us to our message here. Come on over here. Pick up in verse Romans chapter seven, verse fifteen, and the main message is we are at war. Romans chapter seven, verse fifteen. I'm going to read down to verse twenty, and then we'll go back through this. For that which I do. I allow not <laughs> for what I would that do I not, but what I hate 
that do I. Do you find somebody frustrated there in that verse? Do you find somebody? Listen, when I was unsaved, I barely struggled with sin. I mean, if somebody offered me something, I tried it, man. Let's go do it. You know, there's no struggle. Now, I'm struggling. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And yet I still do it. There's a, there's a war going on. Let's keep going. Verse 16, if I do that which I would not, if I'm doing what my will does, is not agreeing to, I consent in the law that it is good. I need the law. I need rules. I need things to tell me where the limits are because my flesh will always go too far. Let's keep going. Verse 17, now then it is no more I, that's talking about his soul, that do the sin, but sin that dwelleth in me. Now he's talking kind of weird. He's talking about I and me, but there's three parts of me now. And now I can figure which one is he talking about the flesh or my soul or my spirit? Sin dwells in me. Verse 18, for I know that in me, that is where? See, he helps us to know what he's talking about. In my flesh, in my body, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is with me. I have the will to do good, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would do, sorry, yeah, for the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but what? But something called sin that dwelleth in me. Talk about a war. You can deny it all you want. You can say, you can't be a Christian and have that kind of fight going on. Are you kidding me? There, there, there are so many misconceptions about this. Uh, Paul says, look back there in verse 15. Listen to his description. Verse 15, he says there, for that which I do, I allow not. <laughs> I won't let myself do it, and yet I do it. For what I would do, that do I not. I don't even do what I want to do. But what I hate, that do I. Does that describe a Christian who has no temptations? No. Does that describe a Christian who, has no, who no longer sins? No, he even says, the evil that I don't want to do, that I do. So Paul's struggling here. So evidently, Christians still need God's laws. I said that. Because we need to be reminded what is right and good. We need to be rebuked when we're not doing right. I've known some Christians who've gotten away from God. We call it backsliding. And you know what? They're just as saved as you and me. But they're in sin now. You say, well, they must not be saved. No. <laughs> They just haven't, they haven't been caught yet. And God's very gracious. He's gracious. There's none of us who are perfect, amen. So just because you're closer to God for a while and they're further away doesn't mean you're better. You just make sure that you don't follow that person because one of these days there are going to be tears in heaven because of wasted lives when God has so much grace on you. I'll talk about that in a few minutes. We still need to be reminded, I've gone too far. I've gone away from God. We sing that song, I've wandered far away from God. Now I'm coming home. You know what that story is? Of a son, not just a sinner, but of a son who walked away from his father. And he says, I wonder if I could go home. You know, Christian, you can go home too. You've been away from God. You've backslidden on God. You've put other things in front of God. You've made things more important than God. You need to come home. 
we need to be reminded you're, you're away from God, you're doing wrong so that you do right. And there's this fact that sin still dwells in me, specifically in our flesh. And it fights against our own will. I mean, why does sin put so much fight in me against what's good? I grew up in an age, and maybe you did too, where Dr. Spock, not Spock on Star Trek, but a guy named Benjamin Spock, uh, taught that basically everyone's good. And we're all the product of our environment. And so if a child is, is a little bit disobedient, just leave him alone. He'll work out of it. Really? I grew up with a lot of demon-possessed kids <laughs> who never worked out of their tantra tantrums. Now all of the teachers are saying, boy, we got to, uh, we got to control kids and, and, oh man, we're all in cycles, things. There's something wrong in us. And even though we're saved and even though we want to do right, there's something in us that is a rebel. That's why the core sin is not just pride. The core sin in every one of us is rebellion against God. You tell me what to do and there's something inside of me that says, I ain't doing it. <laughs> That's sin. That's why somebody is told to... Stay pure till marriage, and the first thing you want to do is to go get with somebody. You say, don't lie, and the first thing they do is they say, well, I'm going to go tell a lie. Don't steal, and they take something. There is something inside of us that says, I'm not going to obey. Sin fights against even the will. So something still needs to be constantly brought into submission to the will of God, and that's my flesh. Sin will never obey God, but my flesh. You know what I'm using my flesh to do right now? To obey God. But if I don't keep in charge of this flesh, you know what I'll do? I'll obey it. I'll do what my flesh wants to do. I'll eat what I want to eat. I'll stay in bed as long as I want to stay. I'll watch whatever I want to watch. If I don't stay in control of this flesh, my flesh, like an like a un, untrained dog, will just go and do its own thing. And it's, and it's got to be restrained. It's got to have rules. It's got to have expectations. And I'm the one who puts the expectations on me, by the way. So verse, uh, uh, Paul wrestled against everything. He wrestled against imaginations in his own heart and mind. He put on the whole armor of God to be able to defeat sinful lusts and temptations. You ever wonder why that Ephesians? We think Ephesians chapter 6 and the sword of the spirit, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness is only for fighting against uh, demonic forces, it's for fighting against temptation that a Christian faces. You need the whole armor of God. Paul commands us to mortify, to put to death whatever feelings and lusts we may be struggling with. It is a war. Mortify means to put them to death. But what's great is it is a war that every believer can and must win. Because right now, as a Christian, we have the right weapons to win. Before I was saved, you know how many people go to counselors and psychologists and psychiatrists trying to get their mind under control, trying to settle their heart, trying to get things. You can't do it. They may get a temporary reprieve for a little while, but you want to have victory over all that stuff. You need Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's nice to have counselors. Sometimes it's nice to be, you know, put on medication for a little while. Sometimes it's nice to go on a holiday, but that's only temporary. At some point, you need the right weapons so that the past, your past can be dealt with. 
Uh, there are some Christians in this room. I don't know you. Don't think I'm talking about you. Well, yeah, go ahead. <clears throat> but there are some Christians in this room. You've got stuff that haunts you from your past. I can talk to you till the cows come home. I can try to show you need to believe that the blood of Jesus Christ cleansed even the sorrows and the griefs and the hurts and the scars of the past. Amen. You need to believe that. Amen. You have the right weapon. You have the ability. You're, every time you see your enemy or somebody that hurts you in the past, you have the feeling to want to hurt them, to say something, to give out to them, to make them hurt like they hurt you when Jesus said, pray for them. Bless them. Show kindness to them. And you'll walk away free, freer every time. You see, we have the right weapons now. We have the right tools to win against the fight that's in us. My sin in me says, go give them something. <laughs> when the Spirit says, pray for them, show them kindness, be good to them. So what's the point? Let's look at verse 21. I find then a law that when I would do good, Evil is present with me. Now, Paul, this is deep. He says, every time I try to do good, there's another force trying to stop me. Um, verse 22, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Well, that's a good thing. On the outer man, my flesh, I don't delight after the law of God, but my inner man does. Verse 23, for I see another law. Now, he's talking about laws here. We're going to talk about what this means in a minute, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind here's our war and bringing me into captivity bringing trying to be bringing me into slavery to the law of sin which is still in my members so what is sin trying to do you right now do to you right now trying to bring you back under its dominion isn't it now you're free from it sin is not supposed to have dominion over you but it can get that dominion if you let it he says, I see, let me read verse 23 because it brings up to verse 24 right brilliantly. But I see another law in my members. It's there, warring against the law of my mind, my choices, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? So what's the point? Number one, sin constantly is trying to bring me back into its slavery. You say, but I thought sin... I thought sin died on the cross. No, sin didn't die on the cross. The, the body of Jesus Christ was punished and he was put to death for my sin. But it did not punish sin. He, being a righteous man, died as a sinner. Do you understand that? He who never sinned became sin for us so that I could be forgiven. Now, when he did that, he removed the punishment of my sin. He removed the power of the grip of sin, but it's still in me. God can't take sin out of me until I die. Until this robe of flesh dies and is buried and I'm free from, from my old nature that is still hanging around. And until that day, I still face temptation. Do you? All right, because there's still sin in you. And until this flesh drops and is in that grave, I'm going to struggle with it. And if I don't take this thing seriously, listen, let me be real honest with you. Um, uh, if you don't realize the war that's going on, you're going to be giving in to the flesh. Let me be real clear. 
most people, when they think of sin, they think of drunkenness. They think of adultery. They think of murder. But you think about the fact that I know a lot of Christians who are just arrogant. And they don't think they're sinning at all. They're full of pride thinking they don't sin. That's sin. Because they're lying to themselves. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. There are sins going on in a Christian church that we won't admit to. Like gluttony. Like, you know, private lust. Like um, uh, lying, white lies and all this stuff. What we think is, well, I, I no longer am drunk. I don't get drunk anymore. But you're filled up with the sin of covetousness. You're never happy. You're constantly looking. What everybody has is, I have to have a new car. I, 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 need, I, I, need, I need a new outfit. Um, I, I need a new girlfriend. I got to have this. I got to have that. That is sin. And sin, if you're not honest, sin has enslaved you again. You know what a Christian is? Humble. Not even thinking anything of yourself. You know what humility is? Not thinking of yourself at all. Amen. I don't care how successful you may be in business. If I met you, I'll see, uh, we'd see each other as equals. We'd see each other as family, as brothers if you're saved. You understand what I'm saying? I won't have to be in fear being around you because you're so successful, Elon. Or you're so successful, Bezos or Bill Gates or something. No, if somebody's saved, they're brethren. Amen? So when people have that air about them that they're superior, they're more, they're, they're more sinless or whatever, step away from them because they've been brought back under the slavery of arrogance. Sin is always at work. We have a new man. I have a new man in me. Did you notice that verse? Verse 22, he says, uh, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. The inward man is Jesus. I don't know if you realize this. We read it in Galatians 2.20. It says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me now. <laughs> Where does he live? In my hands? No. In my body? No. In my spirit. I have a new man in me now. His name is Jesus. One of the proofs that a man or woman is born of God is that they have this desire. They have... They have uh, they have Jesus's desires. They love church because Jesus loves the church. If you don't have a love for other Christians, I have to ask you, are you saved? Because there's somebody inside of you, if you're saved, that loves other believers, that loves the Bible. You see, Paul's struggle is to make sure that he reads the Bible, but he struggles with it because there's a part of him that doesn't want to, but there's a part of him that does. And if you don't want to be in your Bible, you have to ask yourself, is Jesus in me? Because he wants to. If you don't care about the lost, if there's nothing in you that says, I've got to hand out a track, I've got to give them the gospel, you've got to ask yourself, am I really saved? Because Jesus wants to give them the gospel. The new man in you is Jesus Christ. We talk about, oh, so-and-so, they're a new man. Oh, they, they've got a job. they got a new suit of clothes. That's not a new man. You know what a new man is? Somebody who lives like Jesus Christ. Somebody who serves and sacrifices and gives and, and blesses and, 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 and serves, and I said serves, but, but constantly lives like Jesus lived. That's the new man because that's Jesus living through us. So we got a new man in us now. And that new man in me is my victory. 
and he will deliver me one day from this body of death. Look at verse 25. We'll be finished here. And I thank God. So he asked me, who's going to deliver me one day from this body of this death? This stinking, wretched, hurting, sinful body. Who's going to be deliver me from it? Verse 28, 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then. With the mind, I myself serve the law of God and with the flesh, the law of sin. Let's finish this up. There are two spiritual laws at work in a Christian's life. They're, they're like scientific laws. There's the law of gravity. You heard that? All right. There's the law of angular momentum. There's the law of thermodynamics. There are all of these laws. What they mean is they're established facts. Well, there are two facts about us. All right. Number one, part of me, my flesh, will always want to sin. Nod your head. You say, well, I'm saved 30 years. I, I should be sinless. Well, you should be, but you'll never be sinless. Somebody once said it this way, and I like it. I will never be sinless, but the older I get in the Lord, I should sin less and less. Amen? So that's the Christian life. But don't ever get to the, to the place where you think, I don't sin anymore. My flesh will always want to sin. And my flesh will always trick me into thinking, well, this isn't wrong. Oh, I can justify this. Mm -hmm. The second fact for the Christian, part of me, that's my spirit, is always going to delight in God, in God's laws, in his words, in heaven, in righteousness, in spiritual things. Let me prove it. If you're not diligent Sin in you will take over your words, your thoughts, your desires, your actions. I don't care how saved you are. If you're not diligent to control that tongue, James tells you has two chapters almost, at least a whole chapter, about the tongue, how dangerous it is, and is written to believers. And if you don't take charge of your tongue, you, you, can, you can hurt people with it. I don't care how saved you are. And your actions... Let me give you an example of somebody who was as godly as they get. Somebody who walked with God, loved God, worshiped God, most spiritual person, one in the Old Testament. His name was David, and he walked out, and he committed adultery with a woman one night, got her pregnant, and then murdered her husband so that nobody else would find about it. That was, that was a, right, a, a godly man. Don't you tell me that, oh, Christians don't sin. Christians sin. Peter one day panicked and got scared of all of this pressure coming against him and against Jesus and all the other disciples. And he publicly denied knowing Jesus Christ and turned his back on Jesus Christ and abandoned Jesus to be brutalized by the different soldiers and by the different councils who were mocking him and, and, and preparing him to go to the Pilate and be crucified. And Peter turned his back on his, I do not know the guy and cursed his very name. Say, I, I would never do that. Are you sure? Are you sure you won't do something so vile and so wicked and so out of the ordinary? You better be aware of it. And if you're not willing to put up a fight to stay right, you will do wrong. I don't care how saved you are. I'll give you another one. A guy named Demas. Demas worked right alongside Paul, preached, helped start churches, taught the Bible, 
was on fire for God. And then one day, Paul writes, Demas have forsaken me, having loved this present world. And he's gone. You know, some of you are in church this morning. Where are you going to be a year from now? A year from now, will you still be coming, serving, loving? Or will you love this present world one day and go back to the world? Don't tell me you won't do it. Determine you won't do it. Amen? That's what the Christian, there is a war. We are at war. We better fight the good fight. Come on. And my flesh and my spirit will never get along. These, these two laws with the mind and my choices, I will serve the law of God. I will do right. But with my flesh, it's going to do whatever it wants. And you know what's great? I'm okay with that because God's okay with that. He's given me grace. And I need to have a little bit of grace with myself and realize I'm a failure constantly. I still sin and I hate it, but he loves me. And I don't even live by my, my own faith anymore. I just live by the faith of the son of God. I trust him. He's going to get me all the way home. I want to do right. I try to do right, but I fail and that's okay. I don't like it when I fail. And when I fail, it helps me determine to not. But I want you to understand. I'm saved. I'm. He saved me. If you could lose your salvation, you already have. I guarantee you. If you are not ever going to be good enough until you're perfect, then you're never going to heaven. I choose to trust the perfection of Jesus Christ. And my sin can never separate me from the love of God. My failure, my flesh, and my, my everything that's wrong with me it no longer matters to God. What matters to God is the cross. And did I look to God and ask him to save me because of the cross? Then that's all that God asks. Is that, is that, is that awesome? You're going, you're going I, don't, I don't get it. <laughs> Maybe the penalty will drop later this afternoon. Maybe you'll start to realize, wow, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for me. Now that I'm a sinner, he still loves me. And he's still going to get me all the way home. Amen. Amen. Now, that's no justification for you to live in sin, okay? <laughs> I mean, there is a judgment seat of Christ coming, and there is the chastening hand of God. But when Romans chapter 7, it describes, fight the good fight. There's a war going on. And I have the tools to win every day. Did you know, if you have a bad spirit, a bad attitude, if you've got um, uh, a lot of scars and a lot of things that are just haunting you, you have the tools to be able to put them to death and live free today. And then tomorrow they pick up again and they try to pull you down. You can put them under the blood and walk free every single day. Amen. That's why we sing about the blood of Jesus Christ. We sing about wonder, wonderful grace of Jesus because it's all him, not what I have to do now to be accepted. All right. You cannot deny that, a, that a, the kind of war that a Christian's in. You, I know people who say, well, I'm saved and I don't sin. Okay, back away real slow. <laughs> mm. God sees a part of you that has been declared dead. And that's, that's the old you, that's the flesh. And you need to start believing it. And you need to start yielding that body now to be that you used to use to sin and yield it to do something good for God.
I have to say this and uh, start fighting the good fight. On our best days, you and I are still sinful and proud and rich and wicked. Can you nod your head? On our best days. Some of you are struggling with that. But you see, if you're struggling with that, it's because you believe a lie that, that I guess now that I'm saved, I don't sin. Don't you believe that? One second. Because that's a lie of the devil. You do sin. The sin's just not held against you like it was when you were lost. But now that you're saved, your best days, you're still sinful, proud, wretched, and wicked. We are rebels in our nature against God, no matter how saved you are. That's why we have to fight against that rebellious spirit in us. So fight, start fighting the good fight. And um, you, you will wrestle with, with sin in you until the day you enter heaven. But if you're not born again, the question is this. Are you going to let sin take you to hell? You're in a relationship with something that's going down. You're in a relationship with the flesh that is that is sinful and it's going to pull you down to hell. And if you're going to follow your flesh, follow your feelings, follow what you see, follow what you taste, it's going to lead you straight to hell. But I want to invite you to, to, to get saved this morning so that you can kick sin in the teeth and get victory over every single sin that you struggle with and you can walk in the spirit and walk with God the rest of your life and for all eternity. That may not be interesting to you, but I'd much rather that than hell. Would you stand with me and bow your heads? Heavenly Father, just as we finish up chapter 7, Would you put our hearts at rest about what's wrong with us? Sometimes we, like Paul said, we hate what we do. We hate how we react to temptation. We hate the way that we give in to it. We hate the frailty of life, how we just don't have strength against temptation. And it really is because we have walked in the flesh all our life. We have lived according to what our body, our eyes, our stomach, our flesh wanted to do. And when we got, if there's, if anybody's in this room is saved, we got given a whole new way of life. Our spirit got resurrected and, and we got the, we got Jesus Christ himself living in us. We have everything we need to live in victory. Lord, when, when this flesh does get a bit of an upper hand, and we get so frustrated, I pray that we remember you're still there. You will never leave us or forsake us. You will yeah, you'll put the pressure on us to get us back right, but that's because you love us and because you're not going to leave us. And you're going to work on us until we're like you. So God, I pray that we would live and walk in the spirit. And we want more than anything to have the victory over every sin every day because that's where the victory is in our walk with you and lord i pray that if there is somebody who's not saved who doesn't understand what it means to be born again i pray they come talk to me i pray they decide that wow all the stuff that i struggle with is going to send me to hell not just not just the big ones but the small ones they're all killing me they bring forth death the wages of sin is death 
but there's a gift of God out there waiting for you to receive it. It's Jesus Christ, our Lord. And if somebody would take him, Lord, it'd be the most wonderful day for them. And I thank you for your word today. Now it'd be real in our life. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Grab your hymnal. We'll sing number 316.